Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. If you've got your Bibles, do turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 39, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 23. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him his story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warder put Joseph in charge, of all, in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Well, in a, in a culture of fake news, I believe that God is looking for men and women of integrity today more than ever before. And I think the life of Joseph is a great example of a man of integrity. Now, you'll remember that Joseph was the, the youngest and the favorite son of, of Jacob. He was Jacob's blue-eyed boy, and everyone knew it. 
He even had that outrageous designer jacket made to measure for Joseph. And Joseph's 11 brothers could see the favoritism in full color. And one day, Joseph goes and tells his father that his brothers have been slacking on the job. And so his brothers don't have a kind word to say about Joseph, and you really can't blame them. He's a spoiled brat, and uh, he's a telltale. And then there were his dreams. Hey, guys, I had this dream. We were all tying these bundles of wheat, but then my bundle stood up tall and proud, and your bundles formed the circle around my bundle, and they all bowed down to my bundle. Uh, what do you think that could mean? And I had this other dream where there was the sun and the moon and these 11 stars all bowing down to me. What do you think it could mean, guys? Now, he says, one thing to have barely co- dreams that are barely concealed allegories about your, your parents and your brothers bowing down to you, but it's another thing entirely to tell everyone as soon as you wake up. And then on a, well, as time passed by, his brothers could smell the prospect of their younger brother ruling over them. And this led to resentment, jealousy, and hatred. Then one day, uh, Jacob sends Joseph to go in and check up on his brothers who are busy tending the sheep. His brothers spotted him a mile off, thanks to his amazing Technicolor dream coat. And they plotted to kill him. So when he arrived, they, they jumped him, they ripped off his coat, they threw him into a cistern, which was, well, effectively a dungeon in the ground. But then they noticed some Ishmaelite traders coming past on the way to Egypt, and they thought rather than killing their brother, that they could make a quick profit by selling him as a slave. After all, they reasoned, he is our brother. And so they sold him as a slave, and then they took his cloak, ripped it up, covered it in goat's blood, took it to Jacob, and said, we found this. Is this Joseph's? And so they deceived Jacob into believing that his favorite son had been devoured by a wild animal. And this is where we pick up our our story in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Potiphar buys Joseph as a slave. Now, Potiphar is a very high official in Egypt. Egypt. He's Pharaoh's uh, captain uh, of of Pharaoh's guards. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house of, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owed. It doesn't take long before Potiphar realizes 
He's, he's got a bargain here. You know? uh, Joseph is incredibly talented, and so he quickly promotes Joseph to his personal assistant and put his in, puts him in charge of his whole household. That's his, that's his whole estate. And then from verse 5, we read, From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potter had, both in the house and in the field. As soon as he promotes Joseph to be in charge of everything, everything becomes prosperous. It's as if Joseph has this magic touch. And in verse 6 we read, So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And what we discover over here is that Joseph is not just talented, but he's trustworthy. He's a man of integrity, and Potiphar trusts him with everything. He doesn't even check up on him. Uh, he's not concerned about anything, doesn't worry about anything, well, except for his dinner. And what we discover, firstly, is that during this time of enslavement, Joseph had grown in maturity. He's no longer the spoiled brat, but he's a man of integrity, someone that Potiphar can completely trust. And then we read at the end of verse 6, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Let's get this right at the start. Joseph is one good-looking guy. He's handsome. He's well-built. He's talented. He's a natural-born leader. He probably even has a great singing voice. You know what I mean? He's just perfect. And she's a desperate housewife. You could probably make a TV series out of something like this. And so she tempts him to come to bed with him. And what we discover here is no one is immune to temptation. Everyone will experience temptation. Even this great man of God experiences temptation. We'll all experience temptation in one form or another. It might not necessarily be sexual temptation. It could be that they've been tempted to spend more than we have, to cheat, to lie, to be manipulative, to tarnish someone's character through gossiping. Or simply the temptation to blend in with the crowd rather than stand up against an injustice. No one is immune. But secondly, we discover that it's possible to overcome temptation. It's so easy to give in to temptation. It would have been so easy for Joseph just to have given in, uh, for him to say, uh, well, no one would even know. No one will get hurt. Um, you know, it, I deserve a break. I'll, I'll do it just this once. And no one will even know. No one will get hurt. In fact, it might be quite advantageous for my career to have an affair with the boss's wife. So easy to justify ourselves. So easy to give in to temptation. But Joseph shows us that it's possible to be a person of integrity, 
and to overcome temptation. And we read in verse 8, but he refused. And in verse 9, he says, My master has withheld nothing from me except you. To go to bed with her would be, to, would be a violation of his master's trust. Because you are his wife, it would be a violation of the sacred bond of marriage. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It would be a violation against God. And over here we discover how to overcome temptation. Firstly, Joseph simply refuses. You know, he, he, he doesn't entertain the thought. He doesn't flirt with the idea. There, there's no debate. It's as if he's already decided not to sin. As if he's already rehearsed his answer. We need to resolve in advance not to sin. Secondly, he knows it's simply wrong. It's wrong even if he doesn't get caught. It's wrong even if other people are doing worse things. It's wrong even if no one gets hurt. It's wrong even if other people think it's acceptable. It's wrong because he knows it would be a violation of his master's trust. It would be a violation of the sacred bond of marriage. And it would be a violation against God. See, it's so easy to deceive ourselves. And to think, oh, oh it, no one will know. If we sin, people will get hurt. People will find out. And God will know. Our, our true character is revealed in what we do in secret when only God is watching. Thirdly, it's not a one-off battle. In verse 10, it says, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Day after day. It's not a one-off thing. Soon as we think, oh, well, I've overcome temptation, that's when we are our most vulnerable, and that's when we will fall. And then fourthly, he takes drastic actions to avoid temptation. In verse 10, uh, we read, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. He goes out of his way to avoid temptation, to avoid being in her presence. He takes drastic actions. Now, sometimes it's impossible to avoid temptation. And we read in verse 11, One day he went into the house to attend his duty. So he, this is something he has to do. This is his job. He, he can't avoid this. And so he has to go in to do his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. She, she literally grabbed his cloak 
and wouldn't let him go. So he, he takes his cloak off and he, and he just runs for it. When temptation grabs us, we too need to flee. Being a person of integrity is costly. When Joseph rejects her, when Potiphar's wife experienced rejection, her love soon changes to hatred. And she falsely accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. Her evidence? His cloak, which is still in her hand, and which she claims Joseph took off in order to rape her. And so we read in verse 19 to 20, When his master heard the story his wife had told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. This is the second time that Joseph is an innocent victim that finds himself in prison. And this is the second time that Joseph's coat has been used to deceive others. It was used to deceive Jacob into believing that Joseph was dead, and now it's been used to deceive Potiphar into believing that Joseph is a rapist. And this is so unjust. I mean, Joseph should have been rewarded for doing the right thing, not punished. But this is the reality. So often when people have done the right thing, have acted with integrity, they've lost a friend, they've lost a contract, they've lost a, a business deal, or even they've lost their employment simply for doing the right thing. It takes courage to be a person of integrity. It's so easy just to take the path of least resistance. But it takes courage to be more concerned about what God thinks than what other people think. So being a person of integrity is costly. But ultimately, it is very rewarding. We continue reading in verse 20, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. You see, even though no one else knew the truth, God knew the truth. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Because Joseph was a man of integrity, God continues to bless him. And once again, he finds himself at the head. He is now the head of the whole prison, just as he was the head of the whole of Potiphar's house. And once again, he's completely trusted by the, the warden, just as Potiphar completely trusted him. Trusted him. And it's, it's ultimately through Joseph's, Joseph's prison experience that he gets the opportunity to later interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And because of that, Pharaoh promotes him to be in charge of the whole of Egypt. 
just as he was in charge of the whole prison and in charge of the whole of Potiphar's house. So while being a man of integrity was initially very costly, ultimately it was very rewarding. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that if we all act in integri- with integrity, we're going to become the prime minister. Far from that. <laughs> but it does mean that if we act with integrity, we will have the peace of knowing that we have done the right thing. We'll have the peace of knowing that God is pleased with us and that God will reward us. He will ultimately reward us in His way and in His timing. But what about when we fall into temptation? Now, let's be honest, we're all going to fall into temptation. We have all have fallen into temptation. And none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We're all human. I certainly cannot claim that I have never fallen into temptation. There have been many occasions when I wish I could go back in time and redo things, but I can't. So what do we do when we fall into temptation? Well, firstly, we need to confess to God. We need to confess to God what we have done. We need to ask for forgiveness. We need to say sorry. And actually, just by admitting what we have done, we already start to experience freedom from temptation. But the good news is in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins... God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, God has dealt with our sins so that when we confess our sin, God doesn't just forgive us, but He purifies us. He, he takes our guilt away. It, it, it's, it's as if we've made new again. It's as if we've never done anything wrong. And through the experience of confessing and receiving forgiveness and being purified, it sets us free from temptation. Secondly, confess to the person who we have wronged or offended. We need to admit our mistakes to them. We need to ask for forgiveness. And as far as possible, as far as it's dependent on us, we need to seek to make things right and seek reconciliation. This won't be easy. This is difficult. It will take courage. But it's something we need to do. And then thirdly, we need to resolve to be a person of integrity. We need to aspire to be a Joseph. So often we think, well, we've got the situation under control. We don't don't need to tell other people. Uh, We've got it sorted. We've got it fixed. We, We can do it. But we can't. We need help. We need to pray that God will give us His Holy Spirit and empower us. Because it's only when we've got the presence of God in our life that we will be able to be a person of integrity in a world of temptation. See, I believe God is looking for people of integrity. 
people who he can trust. Are you prepared to be that person? A person of integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do confess that so often we have fallen into temptation. So often we get things wrong and we make mistakes. Father, won't you forgive us? Won't you purify us? And won't you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be a person of integrity, someone whom you can trust? Help us to not try to justify ourselves. Help us to not try and always take the, the path of least resistance. Help us not to always try to appease people, but rather live to please you alone. And Father, we, we confess we need more courage. Won't you empower us right now by your Holy Spirit? Fill us with your presence. Empower us to be the people that you've created us to be, that you've called us to be, that you know we can be. Pour your presence and your love into us so that we can be a person of integrity, someone you can trust. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.